My guest today on Forging Ahead is Louis Nichols. Louis has done a lot of things, and the reason why I wanted to have him on Forging Ahead was a course that he runs that's called Sales for Founders, where Louis teaches people how to get good enough at sales to get to 10K and MRR. So the idea of the course is not to make you a professional salesperson. It is to be able to take your business and get to this level of revenue where you can potentially quit your day job, focus on this thing full time, and then be able to hand off sales to a more experienced salesperson. Uh, I enjoyed the episode a lot. I feel like, first of all, I sent Louie some ideas in a prep email and we complete, I completely changed <laughs> my line of questioning as we went through this thing. So if it feels awkward, it's 100% my fault. However, there is some gold in here. Like I got Louie with my awkward question asking. We got to a few ideas that I think are a real big deal. And his focus on making sure you have the audience right, I think you should space, pay special attention there. And then when he talks about coming up with this success plan with your customer to make it easy to take them through the journey to actually become a customer and give you a credit card or give you wire instructions to be able to take their money. There's some real gold there. So thanks for coming on, Louie. Hopefully it wasn't uh, as awkward as I felt like it was, but there's some really great stuff in here. So thanks for listening. Hey, this is Tom Sullivan. Thanks for listening to Forging Ahead. I'm breathing some new life into this project by inviting guests to come on and teach us about a topic that they know as well as anyone on earth because they've done it and are doing it today. These are the real deal practitioners. If you enjoy this, please leave a review on Apple or send this to a friend. Thanks. Hey, it's Tom, and I've got Louis Nichols with me from Zurich. Um, Louis, why don't you take a quick minute and introduce yourself, how you like to be introduced. I know just from doing my research, you've done a lot of different stuff. And I guess, you know, the context of what you're working on today or, or however you want to be introduced. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be here. So who am I? I guess the main thing that I do right now is I run a software as a service business, an app called Sparkloop, which builds referral software for newsletter creators to help them grow their newsletters faster. So I've been running that for a year. Uh, there are two of us working pretty much full time on it. It's growing pretty well. We're growing about 20 to 30% month on month, which is great. And that's my, my full time thing. Before that, and uh, still on the side, I run a course and a group teaching early stage bootstrap founders how to do just enough sales to find their first 100 customers. And before that, I've grown and sold other startups, uh, some funded, some bootstrapped, and done some consulting and all kinds of things that we probably don't need to, to jump into today. Otherwise, the, uh, the hour will just be an introduction and uh, people will be very bored. <laughs> when I, um, wanted to get you on the show, I was immediately grabbed by the sales for founders thing. I've been kind of a, a fledgling entrepreneur um, for the biggest part of my career. And the early sales, like getting a few people to believe 
and to actually write checks to me is is so powerful. So when I saw that in your tweets and in your Twitter profile, that's kind of what I wanted to focus on. So I know that you um, you run a course called Sales for Founders, and um, what type of people sign up for that? Yes. What type of people sign up for Sales for Founders? So most of them are founders, as the name would suggest. <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> most of them want to learn sales. Uh, other than that, it tends to be technical founders mainly. So very often it's a developer who is maybe still working full time and starting a side project. Maybe they've tried different side projects and always failed. Maybe they have their own business and they found two or three customers somehow and have no idea how to find customers four, five, ten, and, and so on. Uh, so it's, it tends to be someone in the early stages who really needs some uh, kind of some sales help and realize, hang on, we've got something here maybe, but I don't seem to be able to move forward, and I'm not sure why. Is it mostly, is it like zero customers and zero reps selling? Oh, so it's normally really, well, it depends, right? So it's normally really early stage founders. Okay. I prefer people who have something that they're already trying to sell mm-hmm. uh, just because otherwise uh, the stuff is useful, but they will spend a lot of time trying to find a, a product idea or uh, something that they can sell. Uh, so it's not necessarily the right time to uh, kind of to take advantage of a lot of the stuff in the course. Um, but it is really early stage. So I say it's useful for anyone who's still trying to find their first 100 customers. Got it. And the tagline that I've seen in your stuff, which I love, is get good enough or just good enough to get to 10K in MRR. How do you define good enough? Uh, I would say I'm pretty much good enough. So (laughs) I am a pretty terrible natural salesperson. I'm not particularly dynamic. You know, being British doesn't really help with that. We, We don't get very excited. Uh, I am a terrible YouTube video creator. I I hate it. Uh, All that kind of thing, right? So um, not massively like an outgoing people person. Definitely not the kind of person who feels comfortable uh, kind of negotiating and pushing people into buying something they don't need to buy. Uh, You know, if you're a full-time professional salesperson, then you're really trying to close every deal and you're getting people to buy things in some cases that maybe they don't even necessarily need right now. As an early stage founder, all you need is just to be good enough at sales for it not to be the reason that you fail and to get some customers on board and to understand what they actually want and don't want and then to make them happy. And then at some point, if you're going to do, you know, most people don't carry on doing sales past 50 or past 100 customers anyway. They'll switch to some kind of marketing, which is more efficient, uh, takes them less time. But even if they don't do that, then they'll probably start to hire someone who does that at about 10k MRR anyway. And so that's why I say, you know, let's get you to that point where you have a profitable business where you can afford to explore other channels and, uh, you know, go full time and have kind of a, a wage that uh, keeps you keeps you alive. Yeah, and I guess um, I have this, I know that I sent you this kind of like stock example, but I kind of want to keep pulling on a couple follow up questions here. And then Maybe we talk about it in a different setting than I sent you, but I'll keep it kind of familiar for you. So you're saying 50 to 100 customers. So um, that is, are those customers or users or um, like, are the people that are trying to, that show up in sales for founders, they're mostly selling 
SaaS that is what a fifty or a hundred dollars per month per user? Is that the type of pricing that you're most familiar with? We really see everything. So the the one thing that we say is it has to be a a a, a kind of a head based decision rather than a primarily heart driven decision, right? So the stuff that you learn in sales for founders will not help you kind of the set, the kind of sales you learn will not help you to sell uh, a pair of designer shoes or like basically anything you'd buy from Instagram, right? Uh, we can't make you want something. We can just make you realize that you need something and help people move forward with like a decision that they would make, right? You can change someone's mind about whether they need software or not based on understanding them and helping them understand how it will help them achieve their goals, blah, 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 blah. You can't convince someone who doesn't find a pair of jeans cool that they would like that those those jeans are cool, right? So that's kind of the the big decision, like the big difference, I guess. Um, we have everything. So obviously, if you're going to do sales at all, and if you're selling something to, to businesses, which is where sales tends to come in with those head driven purchases, you're probably not selling it for less than twenty or thirty dollars a month. Um, on the upper end, you know, we have several of our the people who've been through sales with founders who've done well have been selling to, to customers who've been paying over $1,000 a month. Um, really depends. Got it. And okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about process. And we'll use kind of the, I guess we'll make this sort of like prototypical person who shows up for sales for founders. That is, as you describe, a technical person uh, they've built something, maybe they have a couple of people in beta or uh, they've convinced a few people to pay. Where do you start with them? Interesting. So where I start, I like to think of it as, how should I phrase this? The big thing that trips most founders up when it comes to sales is they diagnose what's going wrong with them. Uh, they They misdiagnose it. So is it a sales problem? Is it an understanding your audience problem? Is it a product problem? Is it um, kind of a, an outreach problem? Are you not closing them well? There's like a hundred different things that could be wrong, right? That could be the reason why you're not making sales. Mm -hmm. And working out which of those is the actual reason is the thing that most founders really, really struggle with. So that's kind of where we we tend to start. Is yeah. you know, yeah. This episode of Forging Ahead is brought to you by Sparkloop. If you have an email list, a newsletter of any kind, you should consider using Sparkloop. It's the easiest way to add a powerful, effective referral program to your newsletter. Just like you see in Morning Brew, The Hustle, or The Skim, these people have been really successful in growing big lists by employing these referral programs that reward your existing subscribers for telling your friends. I think this is a really smart way to try to grow your list. So if you are interested in finding out more about Sparkloop, I just pumped them in Google, Sparkloop, S-P-A-R-K-L-O-O-P, or you can go to sparkloop.app, or you can search Twitter for Sparkloop. There's some good conversations going on and you can even bump into the founder, Louis Nichols, Sparkloop. I love that. Can you, this is putting you on the spot, but could you think of maybe an example of a misdiagnosed problem that you can kind of unravel and figure out is actually this other thing that they're doing wrong? Yeah, it happens quite a lot. So one that will happen is that people will 
reach out to so a really common one is that people will will have like one customer who they maybe they built something for them as a a contractor or as a freelancer or maybe even at work so they know someone is buying this thing for some reason but they didn't do any sales to get that person right someone came to them and said hey can you build me this thing that i need and then they go away and think okay that's really cool i should turn this into a product and i should go and find more people like this person who needs that and what they do is they misunderstand what it is about that person that makes them a good fit to want to buy the product They're like the original customer that they had who they didn't have to sell to so what they'll do is they'll go away and they'll send out like let's say they'll send out 50 cold emails get no responses and think oh no i'm really bad at cold email i've never done this before that must be the hard thing that i've got wrong uh let's go and take sales for founders and work out how to do cold emails better or outreach better and I would say more often than not, it isn't that they, they're doing bad cold outreach at all. I mean, they probably are doing bad cold outreach, but they would have failed even if they were doing good cold outreach because mm-hmm. they, they just don't understand the person they're trying to sell to. And they're kind of sending these cold emails to people who would never buy their product, even if they had amazing cold outreach. So what's the fix there? I mean, is it, is it the obvious? Uh, I mean, it, it depends kind of. You have to work out like why, why, why did they make those assumptions that that person was the right person, right? And then go back to maybe the original customer and work out, okay, why did that person actually buy? <laughs> what will he have in common or they will, what they have in common with other people who would also buy, or who would be a good target audience for this product and kind of understand on a more fundamental level there, right? And I would say nearly all sales problems do stem from that, big, like that misunderstanding the audience, because if you really understand your audience very well, then everything else is kind of obvious. Yeah, I love that. And that's kind of like where my brain would go. You, you go back to the person who's paying you and take them out for coffee or lunch or sit in their office for a couple hours and try to understand why they're continuing to let you swipe their credit card every month and then maybe try to build... I guess... So when you fix that problem, I think I feel like that's probably pretty common and as you started say, saying it, I started cringing a little because I know I've done that. Uh, we like have something that feels like it's working for one person, and then you just kind of go off to the races without doing that pause and saying, well, why? Um, so once you sort of solve that piece, you know, what do they, what should people do next? They've got, you know, this understanding the audience sorted out. What's next? Yeah. I don't know that there is a next, right? I think that's part of the problem of how people try and learn sales as well. A lot of places they really want to give, people want a structure, right? They want someone who's going to come to them and tell them, okay, this is what you do. First, you go and fill out this sheet. Then you send these cold email templates out. And these are the best cold email templates. These work for me really well, right? Look at this case study. And then you do this call and then you send them this and this blah, 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 right? That doesn't work because no two founders are ever in the same position, right? And the whole point of understanding your audience is giving you the tools to understand, okay, I understand this customer. I understand the audience really well. I know where they hang out. I know what they're kind of interested in. I know what the the motivations are for them to buy. I know the awareness level that they're likely to have and which awareness level I should go after first. Uh, So because I know all of this stuff about my audience, I know that probably... I should send out some LinkedIn messages or I should send some Twitter DMs or I should go on a forum and post something there uh, to get people interested, to find people. Because I understand my audience. I know where the best place to find them is. Right? So there's, there's no one step. 
there is based on how you understand your audience, there is probably one or two things that you would try that seem like they're likely to work. And that's where I would, would go next, right? Is, is to talk to more people, obviously, like the, <laughs> the person you've talked to. Um, and I think if you're very early stage, then you don't want to, to go too salesy too fast, right? That's more of kind of you'd want to go the, the, the approach that, that Rob Fitzpatrick and, and the mum test would kind of advocate for, which is more along the lines of, hey, I'm a clever, intelligent, friendly person who has the, the ability, the capability to help you and make your life better. You know a lot about this thing. Can we go and get a coffee and talk about it and see if at some point I might be able to, to improve your life? Got it. So what about, um, what are some of the other like skills or mindset things or, you know, like big buckets that you build your course around that you think these folks need to know? Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'd say there are, there are, there are three kind of fundamental parts to it that I think are novel and, and difficult for people to understand. And that if you crack them, then you basically, you are an effective salesperson normally. The first is what we've kind of already talked about, which is the hardest thing, which is understand your audience and even working out or even understanding what it means to understand your audience. A lot of people think they do and they don't. Um, maybe we can talk about that quickly at, at some point, exactly what that means. Um, the second thing is then understanding how to put that together into a coherent customer journey or story that you can nudge the customer along. So from where they are now, to where they want to be with your product. How do you get them from first to even understand what that is? Secondly, how do you get them interested in that? And thirdly, how do you get them from where they are today to where they want to be? That's kind of, you know, the, the sales journey and understanding that you are someone who is helping them get from where they are today to where they want to be almost like a consultant. Definitely not someone who's trying to pressure them into doing something or negotiate with them and trick them into buying something they don't need. Uh, that's also hard for people, especially technical founders tend to have a very negative view of a salesperson uh, because most people, when they're being sold too well, they don't realize they're being sold to. They feel like mm -hmm. they're being helped, right? <laughs> so, so you have a very negative view of sales. And then the last thing is just kind of the more fundamental, fundamental concept, which is more about, um, especially for, for cold outreach or any outreach in general, which is making sure that everything you do, you understand in terms of the balance of risk and reward and that for every action you want someone to take you make it very clear in your own mind that the reward they are going or the expected reward they expect to get is worth more outweighs the balance of the perceived risk in taking that action got it let's circle back now and hit that audience piece what does it actually mean like i I feel like we could spend the whole time talking just about audience, but when someone claims to understand their audience, how do you test that to make sure that that's a real statement? Yeah, so I test it actually with with kind of asking them to write the story of how a typical customer of theirs will go from where they are like at the beginning of the story to the end of the sales story, right? Like what are they doing today? What is in their life that's going to make them interested you know where are they hanging out what's in that what's happening in their life that's going to make them want to even hear about what you have to sell why do they need it um what will it improve in their life what will go wrong if they don't improve it right if they don't have your product all those things are like the i split it up into into the pain which is like the concrete amount of value they're losing right now by not having your product um the fear 
like what they're actually emotionally worried about will happen if they don't fix this pain, uh, the dream where they would emotionally like to be, uh, you know, with your product, what's going to kind of sell them on it on an emotional level and also the value. So how are you actually going to provide that value to them? I think those are the main parts. Uh, and then also just obviously where they hang out, what the right kind of, you know, <laughs> the, ch- the right channel to attract them on is what kind of objections they're going to have, all that kind of thing. Uh, normally in, uh, in, in the course and just in general, when I, I, when I help people through this, I tend to think of it as writing that story from three different perspectives. So from the perspective of the accountant who kind of understands all the actual numbers in the business and why it makes sense for them to buy your product and how. Then also from the kind of perspective of a life coach or a, a business coach, maybe an executive coach who understands, okay, you know, what are the, what are the things this person is worrying about? What are the things they want to achieve on a kind of an emotional level? And how will the product fit in with those? And then you can sell to them on that level. And then also kind of from the, the perspective of a, an executive assistant, maybe who understands where and when that person will be the customer, when they'll be receptive to being sold to and via what channels, that kind of thing. Can we take a crack at tying this, if you're open to it, talking about the really early days and first customers for Sparkloop? Uh, yes, sure. Yeah. So, um, Like, what did you yeah. do? I know you've, got, you've had a few cracks at this. You've got a legit playbook that you are offering to people in a course format. And I'd just love to hear maybe some uh, examples of what the really early first customers chasing people down to try to get to that magical 10k number um how did you do it i i don't really i don't know how to answer that question how how do i do that that's i mean it's a lot of different things right it changes every time is there like a specific sale you'd like to dive into or like a, you know i guess for spark loop um maybe we could just talk about the beginning so that was that tool built before you went out to sell it like i guess tell tell me about the really early days when you started spark loop and you know was that something how did you find the right audience for people that have newsletters you know is it i feel like i'm my question is not super clear but i guess what i'm hoping to figure out is maybe to take like this audience understanding thing the story of writing about pain fear and dreams and applying it to people that have newsletters. Right. Yeah, sure. So I think when it comes to finding the very first customer, I don't really think you can go through this. I don't think there is an approach that works in this way necessarily. I think you have to be kind of in there and you have to be, you know, you have to be talking to an audience of people. So in my case, I was talking to an audience of newsletter creators, right? Um, they, what's the best way of, of describing that? I don't think this approach of like, this comes later when you're actually trying to sell to them, right? If you're in the very first early stages of making the first or second or third sale, I would then go for more kind of the, the approach that Rob advocates for in, in the um, uh, in the mum test book, which is just more about uh, just talking to people who you know have the potential to be a good customer. So they have enough money, uh, they have decision-making uh, kind of capabilities, they are people you have easy access to and enjoy working with and who you can sit down with and reach, right? Who you can talk to and they will take your phone call even though you have nothing to offer them yet and spend half an hour chatting over a beer or something. So 
I think the stuff I'm talking about kind of formulating the sales story is more, okay, once you have two or three people who are interested, how do you then make sure this is the right people to go after? And how can you kind of reliably and repeatably uh, close them or close deals with them? Got it. And um, I guess like the initial outreach thing, maybe a smoother transition to me fumbling around here would be to talk about when, when a founder is ready to you know, go out in public, whether that's on you know, LinkedIn in mail or Twitter DM or picking up the phone or sending cold email, what are some of the things that they struggle with most and how do you help people you know, with that outreach piece once they've got that audience thing dialed in? Yeah. So you have a few things there. You have the channel, like you already talked, you'd already touched there on a couple of different potential channels you can take. And again, that comes back to that understanding of your audience to know which channel are they most likely to be receptive to me on, right? So if you're reaching out to, for example, if you're selling to restaurants or bars, then you're almost certainly going to have to pick up the phone because you're never going to get through to the right person via email. They just don't work like that. Uh, same with gyms in most cases as well and a couple of other places. Uh, if on the other hand, you're selling to, I don't know, CEOs of, of smaller companies, then it depends you know, more on the platform which they are most receptive to being sold to by you, right? So I am not big on Instagram at all, uh, <laughs> but I have a, you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm at least obviously a real person who should be taken seriously on Twitter, right? And my LinkedIn is kind of okay. So if those people are on Twitter, then Twitter is the place that I will reach out to them because they will see, oh, people who I take seriously follow this person who's reached out to me. I should at least give the message they've sent to me some respect and read it through. This is probably something that could be exciting for me. And maybe, for, you know, it depends on who you're selling to and also your own individual strengths, right? Where you're strongest or weakest and where people are most receptive. But there is some combination there that probably works best for you. I don't think it's going to be LinkedIn in mails. I think maybe it's a LinkedIn connection followed by a, a DM in LinkedIn. I, I, I very wary of the the in mails. Me too. But yeah, but uh, yeah, I think I think that's one of the things when it comes to the channel is helping people understand that. And then the big thing for me that people t that founders tend to get wrong when it comes to outreach is going too big too soon. So they will ask for, they will pitch straight off. They will ask for a demo, a half an hour phone call of a product when what they're offering, kind of the expected. The expected value, so it comes back to that, that balance of risk and reward, right? The potential reward is very vague and there's not much reason to believe you as a founder yet that that's likely to happen at some point or that you're even likely to get the value out of it as a potential customer. But the expected kind of the perceived risk, having to get on a phone call for half an hour where you might be pitched re repeatedly and then get another follow-up sequence of like six to eight emails that you're going to have to delete like, okay, we as founders, we probably have a bit more time, especially in the early stages. So we don't take that too seriously. But that's something that you <laughs> most people really want to avoid. So finding a way to reduce that risk, the absolute minimum, and to push the expected reward to the absolute maximum. So maybe you're, uh, the you know, you start off and you don't ask them, you know, I like to compare it to walking up to someone in a bar and asking them to marry you straight away right good, good analogy yeah yeah no maybe you compliment them on something and then five minutes later you ask to buy them a drink and blah 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 right and then years down the line get married 
Uh, same thing with cold outreach, right? Unless you're starting a, a VC backed startup where they are under immense pressure from their investors, basically to find every single person, every single potential customer who is gullible enough to buy today and they just have to spray and pray. Unless you're in that situation, then there's no problem in just reaching out to someone and saying, Hey, I saw you're doing this thing. Uh, I think we could be really useful for that. Here's someone similar who we've helped in the past. Would you like me to put together two or three points on, you know, things that our product would help you improve? That kind of thing. That's an example of like like a reasonable ask. Like when you say going too big too soon, you're talking about just like a huge ask without setting any of like the foundation of why I'm even emailing you. Yeah. So that's that that's more on reducing the 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 risk side, right? Is is giving them good social proof and uh, explanations for who you are and why they should take you seriously. And then on the the ask side, it's just about, right, you don't need to get them on a call right now from the first email. You can start a conversation, especially if this is in on Twitter or in a LinkedIn DM. Like DMs, they're, they're there for conversations, right? Like synchronous conversation. You text to and fro like you're, like you're in a conversation. It'd be so weird to have someone just write out like a big par- like couple of paragraphs to you in one of those platforms. You can just start a conversation and say, hey, I saw you doing this. Um, been working with someone who did something very similar. Do you want to find out, like, can I send you something over that would help you a bit more with like, find out a bit more about that? And if they say yes, then you don't send them something over. You say, okay, cool. Like what's on the top of your mind right now? Like which of these things are you more interested in? And you get more information and you understand them better. And then you can provide them with something that they would find useful or interesting, you know, valuable enough to at least want to get on a phone call with you. And then, yes, maybe it takes two days longer on average to get on a call with people, but you get on way more calls with people after two weeks, which is, you know, <laughs> much more, much more useful. Can you say a little bit about where you find the appropriate people to reach out to from like a contacts perspective? Like, is there, um, once we've got the audience, hammered and clear and you essentially you probably build some kind of target list like can we go one level of detail lower like are people opening up excel or you know google sheets and you know you're helping them figure out how to build a target account or you know a hundred ideal customer list like could you go a little bit more detail on what you think is a good way to do that yeah, sure. So starting from the position of someone who I would say uh, has one or two existing customers and really understands their audience well, which is what we like to think of first, then I actually have a list of um, uh, kind of like a, a, a list ranked in order of, of what you probably want to try first. Um, and I would say just kind of I would, I would uh, preface that by saying at that stage, when you're looking for your first 10, 20, 30 customers, you're not trying to, you're not prioritizing customers who seem like they'll be a perfect fit and who want to spend lots of money with you. What you're looking for are the people, the few customers or potential customers who are likely to be open to spending some time talking to you, right? So uh, where I tend to start because of that is with people who you already know who are potential customers. And if you don't know anyone who looks like they would be a good fit customer, that's kind of, if not a red flag, then an orange flag straight off the bat. Mm -hmm. Uh, It means you probably don't understand your audience very well if you don't know any of them. 
other than the one you already have. Uh, if that doesn't work, or if you get a couple of customers from them, then the next step that I would go to is to talk to the last, so customers you already have, or the last lead that you talk to for a warm introduction of who they think you should talk to. So getting a referral from people, from potential customers you've already talked to or from existing customers, mm -hmm. that should work. Um, if they don't have a recommendation for you, then the next thing I would do is to go through their LinkedIn. So these potential customers or these existing customers, I would go through their LinkedIn, I would go through their Twitter. I would find several people who they do know who maybe they didn't think of in the moment who you would like to talk to who would be a good fit. And I would go back and ask them to introduce you to them. Uh, after that, then I would go to my own network. So friends, family, colleagues, people who I know in their networks and ask them to connect me. And I would do as much of the work as possible so that they, you know, they actually say, okay, yes, I do know these three people and I'm happy to connect you. Um, after that, if you're still kind of struggling, then I would tend to go to more established founders who are in the same space, uh, not competitors, but let's say, for example, um, uh, so in the newsletter space, right, with Sparkloop being a referral tool, I can reach out to someone who, to founders who run uh, opt-in widgets and tools, you know, for, for newsletter subscribing forms. I can reach out to people who run uh, email service providers like ConvertKit, for example, and ask them if they have any recommendations. I can reach out to people who do consulting uh, kind of and help people set up newsletters and ask them if they have any recommendations of people I should get in touch with uh, or how to get in touch with them as well. And then after that, then it becomes more structured. And hopefully if you haven't got to, you know, at least 10 or 20 customers by doing that, then that's also kind of uh, an orange slash red flag for me as well. That tends to be a signal that something has, has gone wrong in the, the understanding your audience part. After that, uh, I would, you know, Think about where does my audience hang out online? Where do they hang out in real life? Where can I go and find them? And what is the right time to find them there? And, um, you know, if you, <laughs> after all that, you still are doing outbound and you still don't have kind of a steady stream, it's not obvious to you where customers will come from, uh, then that's when you get into that area of, you know, scraping LinkedIn or Product Hunt or AngelList and all those different kind of things where you, you basically do end up putting a lot of people into a CRM and uh, doing outreach that way. How different, like, if you think about the different frameworks on starting businesses, we have like, you know, the lean startup where you have Steve Blank's work. And I actually had heard you talk about Rob Fitzpatrick in another podcast, but I haven't had a chance to dig into his stuff as much. Would you say that the course that you put on Sales for Founders is like a follow up to? doing the customer development work where you're like going out to talk to a hundred people who might be in your audience or is it is it really similar it's i think all of those frameworks are telling you what to do all sales of founders is doing is focusing very specifically on how to do it and literally just the the how to talk to people and get them like how to find people how to talk to people and how to get them to buy from you right so it's some of the stuff you will learn that overlaps with what Rob Fitzpatrick talks about, for example. Um, you know, none of it is as new or kind of exclusive to sales of founders. It's just in an easy way of understanding, okay, what am I doing wrong? And then what do I need to do? And what do I need to change to, to, to improve that? Um, yeah, some of the stuff will be really useful in the very early stages, but all I'm trying to do is to help people understand how do I do sales better? Yeah. <laughs>
Makes really good sense. Um, what about as they get further along? And mm-hmm. I think I kind of have got a better sense of of the way that you look at sales for founders. And it isn't necessarily the stage where you get to some kind of repeatable sales process where it's like an initial outreach and then a discovery call and a demo. But how do you coach people that come from a technical background to ask people for money? Like eventually a customer is somebody that's going to sign a sheet of paper and give you a credit card number or a wire or something like that. How do you tackle that stuff? Yeah, it's something people get really uncomfortable about asking someone for money. So where the first thing I'll say is that that's why we put together a customer journey, um, basically a series of steps, right? And you always want what I call a, a success plan for your customers. And that's what the, f- it, when you get someone on a sales call, you have kind of two steps. You have the qualifying step, which is where you make sure that they would be a good customer and that it's worth spending time selling to them. You know, it's worth their time. You're not wasting their time by selling to them. And you're not wasting your time by getting them to buy and then them churning a month later. That's a waste of your time as well, right? So you're making sure it is a good fit. And then the second part of that is getting them on the success plan, right? Which is basically where you say, okay, here's where we are today. Here is where you want to be with our product, getting value out of it two, three months down the line. What do we have to get you to do from today to get you from there to where we want you to be? Let's put that down together step by step. What are potential hurdles? When does this thing have to be done by? Do you have to get, you know, a buy-in from your boss? What goals are we trying to achieve? Why, you know, how much value do you expect to get out of it? And how can I show you the value you can expect to get out of it? When are we going to do this next step? When are we going to do that step? When's the next call, right? And what you're really doing there is changing the default outcome of that sales conversation from they are not going to buy your product unless something changes into they will buy your product unless they change something. And that's kind of the really powerful mindset shift because people hate doing kind of people hate change in that Louis, sense. Can you give me that one more time? I, I kind of worked myself into a pretzel there on that change piece. Could you take a crack at that one more time? <laughs> yeah, sure. So what's the best way? Let, let me let me get my, my mind back on track. So as humans, we we hate change, right? We mm-hmm. follow the path that we're going to take, um, and we're very resistant to changing that. It takes a lot. That's why you have to be 10 times better than a competitor to get them to switch to you, in part, because mm-hmm. we don't like having to change things. Our brains are wired not to want to change. So what you do as a salesperson is you are trying to create a shared plan for the future together with that customer that creates an outcome, a default outcome, that unless they come to you with new information, which changes the plan, they will become your customer and they will be successful with your product. That's why you create the plan, right? If you instead say, okay, um, why don't you go back to your boss and see if you want to do this thing and let me know, and then we can set up a call and then we can onboard you that's much less likely to work because it involves them going to change things. If you give them the plan and say, look, here is what we're doing. Here's what we've agreed on. Here's why we're doing it and ask them to follow it. Then they have to make the change themselves. They have to say, no, that bit here isn't true anymore. We don't want to do that bit anymore or something has changed. And obviously sometimes something will change, right? Someone will get fired. uh, Coronavirus will happen and things Mm -hmm. will change. But in general, you're at least twice as likely to close the deal when that happens. 
And it also helps you, which is bringing it back to the original point, which you asked about was like, how do you help founders feel comfortable asking for money? Which is when you have it in that process, the sales doesn't end with asking for money. Asking for like them paying is just one of the steps in this success plan you've put together between where they are today and them being successful with the product, right? So it's just them checking off a box, basically. It's like you would never feel weird about paying, I don't know, $5 to go to the swimming pool, right? Because you're thinking, okay, I'm here today. <laughs> I'm going to go swimming. Mm-hmm. It doesn't end at paying for the, the swimming pool, right? Like paying for entrance to the swimming pool. And that's the, the same kind of thing you're doing, right? It's just a routine part of the, um, of the process. I feel like I've done like a shitty job leading you along here, but I feel like that was, that to me is like gold. Like, so you're talking about with one of your founders that you're teaching to sell, part of the thing that you teach is with their prospective customer, they sit down and early in the process, they agree to this plan for how they're going to work together. And then asking for money becomes just one of the items in that plan. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So first, you sit down with them and you make sure that they even it's even worth spending time creating the plan with them. Can That's we hit the, that for one yeah. second, the qualification thing? Like, what do you like to push people to ask or focus on during qualifying or disqualifying? Yeah, that's completely different for everybody. So it's, um, you know, there will be reasons why a potential customer will be able to buy your product or not be able to buy your product and get value out of it, right? Because if you're a really good salesperson, you can sell anyone anything once, right? Uh, I'm not even particularly that great a salesperson, but I can sell you a month of any product if I really want to, but you're going to ask for your money back on that product. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't want to do that. You don't want to be a really good salesperson. You just want to be just good enough, right? That's the whole point. Um, so the objection phase is you have to, that's what you have to work out in advance. And you have to, after every sales call, if you are like, this is the really important piece is when you're going through sales, you should always, it, it doesn't matter if someone doesn't buy in the first 20 or 30 sales. It doesn't matter at all. You shouldn't feel bad about someone not buying your product. You should feel bad if after they've not bought, you don't understand why they didn't buy. Mm. Because that's the really important thing. Because when someone doesn't buy and you expected them to, you need to make damn sure you know why they didn't buy so that you can use that to tweak your little objection sheet of, okay, I've qualified this person, um, but it turns out that if they're using this one particular tool, then they're not going to work with us. Or if they have... uh, you know, if they have multiple offices or multiple locations or multiple team members who need access, they're not going to buy from us right now. And every time that you have a, a sale that goes wrong, you need to funnel that information back into that qualifying process. And you end up with something that's pretty easy, right? So you get on a call and you say, okay, you know, how many people do you have in your team? Oh, well, it's just me. Okay, well, I'm not going to sell you my social media scheduling, scheduling soft- software then because it's only useful for teams of three people or more. That's the whole reason for using it, right? Mm-hmm. And you know instantly, okay, there's no point in selling that to you. That's great. I think and that should make future selling easier, right? I mean, to me, there's like incredible value in an early disqualification for both the prospect yes. and a salesperson. It's like instead of getting deeply attached to every prospect because you haven't done the hard work to actually know what the likelihood is, you can just move along and spend all of your time with people that are in that higher percentage bucket. Exactly. You're more efficient. You don't have customers who are misleading you who churn because they're not a good fit. So you're not building the wrong product for those people. 
You can tell them, look, this isn't a good fit for you. Here's another product that would be a better fit. They will be so grateful to you. They will recommend you. And when the time comes that they are a good fit for your product, you can guarantee they're going to come back to you and buy from you because they trust you. And also further down the line, all of this qualification stuff that you're doing where you're noticing, okay, this person isn't a good fit because of X and Y and Z. That's what becomes your marketing. That's what becomes your landing page and everything like that. When you understand exactly what makes a good customer and what makes a bad customer, you know, doing sales really is such an easy direct path to coming up with really good marketing stuff later as well. I feel like we're cruising now, man. I I know we had some goofy moments in there where I was fumbling around, but there's the last like 10 minutes I've got, I'm furiously writing stuff down. I want to circle <laughs> back to, um, is there any, this is a weird question, but is there any false modesty in your sales chops? In other words, like I think you're probably really good. And when you differentiate between your level of sales chops versus somebody that you're talking about that is actually one of these like professional salespeople, what are the differences? It's interesting. Um, so I am, I mean, I'm a good salesperson now. I've been doing sales for 10 years in software, right? I've sold, uh, like, my credentials are pretty good. I've sold contracts at $10, $100, 1000 10000 $100,000 and upwards, right? Mm-hmm. So I have done a lot of sales and I've been objectively successful with doing sales over a couple of different products. But the difference, like, the reason that I teach sales for founders and that I think I am uniquely positioned almost to teach sales for founders is because I'm not a naturally good salesperson. I'm a really like, I'm a naturally good swimmer. You don't want me to teach you how to swim because I can swim. Like, I don't understand why people can't swim, right? (laughs) I've been swimming since I was three. It's like a national level. I just don't understand it, right? I'm like a fish. Uh, It makes no sense to me why someone couldn't swim. And it's the same with my my first co-founder for my first business was an insanely good salesperson, but had no idea why he was a good salesperson. And that made him really bad when when it came to building a sales team because he just couldn't understand why other people weren't as good as him. And he, 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 anything you want to sell, way better than me. If you want to hire a salesperson, he will always get better the results than me. He's just a naturally brilliant, talented salesperson. Somehow just has it in his blood. He just knew all of this stuff instinctively, but there's no way he could teach you it because he never had to learn it himself. And that is what separates me, I think, from most good salespeople, is that people who tend to be good salespeople haven't learned it the hard way that you know they've got they've improved obviously but they are naturally talented salespeople to begin with otherwise they wouldn't have gone into sales because sales is so brutal if you're if you're not good at it when you start and that's why i kind of i teach sales for founders is because i empathize and i understand what most technical founders are going through who aren't naturally good at sales because i had to overcome it as well and yeah i think that's what you know uh I, there's no false modesty there in that sense, right? Like I'm not objectively a good, I'm not a talented salesperson. I'm a good salesperson. Got it. So it's like a, it's a talent thing. I, I've worked alongside of people that are, that every quarter, no matter what, they are at the top of the leaderboard. If you were starting a company and you needed an individual contributor that you were happy to pay big commissions to, like, you probably already have two or three people in your mind. To me, like there is like there's almost like a not a lack of self awareness, but like to me, the people that I'm thinking of are just so happy to get on the phone and 
get kicked in the teeth and just have it not even the slightest bit affect the rest of their day. It's just, there is like a talent thing. So I think I'm following exactly what you're saying because there's like people can teach themselves how to get good enough at sales, but they should not expect to get to the level of where they could go get a sales job and be an enterprise sales rep. There's some talent there is what you're saying. Yeah, I think there's some natural talent that makes that much easier, right? It's like, uh, I probably like I could go and get a job as a salesperson. And I think anybody if they trade and you know, do it, they could go and be an acceptable salesperson. But why would you when it's clearly not your talent? Why if you know, I'm trying to help people who want to start a business where sales is for most people objectively the fastest way to get to where they want to be uh, in the early days to get to a position where they can start marketing and start growing the business. Uh, it's so much faster if you start off with sales in, in most cases, if not every. So it's a necessary, I won't say it's an evil because I don't think it's evil. I think it's great. And I think everyone should do sales because it forces you to talk to your customers mm-hmm. and forces you to understand and empathize with them. And I think it's really important, but it is a necessary kind of, it's a, it's a step that you don't necessarily want to do. So let's just do it well. Let's do it quickly. Let's learn the basics, like the, the minimum that you need to do, right? There's no point in getting amazing at something you only need to be good at. It's a waste of time. Let's just do that. Let's get it done and move on to the next thing. I love that. As we wrap up here, um, I'm really big on trying to take one thing and figure out, you know, with the resources that somebody has today, if they were going to spend their time doing one thing as it relates to finding the next customer, where should somebody spend their time? One thing, I don't know if this is a cop out, but I would say, the most important thing that most people will not do when they're struggling to find their next customer is to really step back and reflect on why they're struggling to find their next customer. Don't go with the gut instinct of what you think has gone wrong and try and fix that. It's probably not right. Look back, look at understanding that customer and work out there is something you're missing nine times out of 10 that when you realize that and when you understand your customer better, it will be obvious to you what you were doing wrong. So I would say spend more time understanding the customer on a, on a fundamental level is probably the thing I would recommend to everyone. And what kind of, um, I know this is going to be a different for every business type of thing, but what do you think would be like an acceptable cadence or have a prospecting habit for a founder to build? Like how many touches per day or like when should they be doing that as part of their day? Like, is it, you know, 10 emails, 10 Twitter DMs every single day for a month? Like, how do you typically coach people through that piece? Yeah, I think it it changes as you ramp up, right? So in the early days, I would say what I like to imagine is you need to cast, if, if you don't understand your audience too well, and you've kind of got yourself into that pickle of maybe not starting off in the right way, and having one or two customers who are already paying you and you don't really know why and you're struggling to find customer number three, which is really common. Um, what I would say there is, okay, cast a really wide net first, talk to a lot of people, do a lot of outreach to a lot of people, You know, probably at least 10 or 20 people a day, but make sure you're investing the time to really understand them and to do personal outreach that's tailored to them. Don't just stick them into some kind of cold email sequence with Woodpecker or or something like that really understand them and tailor your outreach to them in the right place. Then from there, go very narrow, slow it down a bit, 
spend even more time reaching out to those people who you think are a really good fit through the warm connections, through friends of friends like we talked about, and then from there broaden it and open it up again. And you should see a bit of inbound happening, a bit of word of mouth, that kind of thing, which means you normally, if things are going well, you're probably not going to have to do outreach for a long time anyway. Uh, you know, for, you know, you don't have to do like 10 or 20 every day for a long time. It's normally just a phase at the beginning to get the momentum going. And if you are in that market, that market, like, um, Nick, uh, from, from Dentally, who is in one of those markets I talked about where reaching out to dentists, the only way to do that is outbound. So he knew he was in that market. He understood his customers and his audience well enough to realize that was the thing. And in that case, yeah, he just had to go for 10 or 20 every day and. That's the way to do it. But you will know that if you understand your customers. Louis, where can people find you? Uh, best place to find me is probably on Twitter. So I hope you'll put that in the show notes, but it's Whoa. Louis Nichols with an underscore at the end. Um, otherwise, check out salesforfounders.com. Uh, there's a free email course there as well on sales, the basics. And I am always happy to talk to people about sales and building businesses and just general stuff, especially with a a pandemic happening where I can't go out and meet new people anyway. So shoot me an email, louis at salesforfounders.com and I'd be more than happy to chat or jump on a call or whatever. This has been really fun. Thanks so much, Louis. Thanks for having me. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Forging Ahead is brought to you by Carrot Cake. Carrot Cake is a weekly newsletter that I write that helps you figure out what to read, watch, or listen to next. You can avoid that odd 15-minute period of thumbing through Netflix or trying to figure out what you should watch on demand by subscribing to this newsletter and getting fully vetted recommendations. The letter also contains a question or two every week that has been impactful for me to consider that I'm passing along to you. You can find Carrot Cake it is a Substack newsletter. So the URL is carrotcake.substack.com. Love to have you on the list.